Good afternoon from London. My name is Eric Bergloff. I'm the director of the Institute of Global Affairs at the LSE School of Public Policy. We at the LSE are delighted to welcome all the thousands of you from around the globe to this London launch of the Marian Forum. The Marian Forum is a collaboration between faculty and students across all of the LSE, involving our partners, New York Times and Kite Insights. The, the Marian Forum is situated right in the intersection between LSE's motto to understand the causes of things and the ambition in our 2030 strategy to be part of reshaping the world. The two aspirations come together as we're trying to make sense of the world in the midst of a pandemic and in order to be part of reshaping uh, the response to it. The theme for the Marian Forum is from rulership to leadership. So what do we mean by leadership? For us, leadership is not only or not mainly about individuals. Yes, individuals matter, but leadership is an ecosystem of research-based policymaking, accountability, and inclusion. We claim that there is a leadership gap. We have too many rulers, not enough leaders, and too much rulership and not enough leadership. This is true in government, in business, and across society in many countries in the world. And we're not necessarily moving in the right direction in closing this gap. Over the last decade, rulers have in fact been winning out. Even in countries where we thought leadership had been firmly established, we see a slide towards rulership. It's happening in emerging economies, it's happening in advanced economies. Some have questioned these claims of a widening leadership gap when we first launched this initiative in January. But after the arrival of COVID-19, no one can be in any doubt. The virus has been merciless in undressing populist leaders and exposing the failure of leadership at every level. And we see the lack of leadership has consequences. We see it in my own country, Sweden, where thousands of the elderly and their carers needlessly died prematurely in care homes. And we see it in the US right now where the daily register uh, new spikes in the, day, in the cases of infected and deaths. But most strikingly, strikingly we see it uh, it in the lack of leadership at the global level. Despite plenty of warnings and time to prepare, we're now rushing to respond to the intertwined medical emergency and economic crisis wreaking havoc in economies and societies and shattering lives and livelihoods in every corner of the globe. Not a single geographic area will escape. The virus respects no borders and no country can on its own end the pandemic. If there's one lesson that stands out from this and other pandemic, it's the need for large scale global coordination. The Marian Forum is a multi-year leadership accelerator to build the kind of leadership the world urgently needs. It's a collaboration between policymakers, students, academics, business leaders, and the media, with research very much at the center. Driven by deep engagement between students and faculty, the Marian Forum will build on LSE's long track record of research policy engagement and capacity building. Today is the London launch of this leadership accelerator, together with many different parts of the LSE and importantly, our students. We have constructed a program around the COVID-19 pandemic. What needs to be done now globally to deal with the intertwined medical emergency and economic crisis? How does the COVID-19 pandemic intersect and interact with other global emergencies and important challenges? How have the different parts of the world responded to the COVID-19 pandemic and what needs to be done now in very different regional contexts? And in the final session of the day, our Merriam student leaders will bring together what we have learned during the day and challenge a panel of policymakers 
business representatives and academics. How can we close this leadership gap? You may ask, why cram so many sessions into one afternoon? Why not spread them out over a term or even a year so that we can participate in, uh, live in all of them? We want to illustrate how global leaders face multiple interrelated crises in very different contexts at the same time. They must prioritize and make urgent decisions with many conversations going on at the same time. They live in that messy space between understanding the causes of things and reshaping the world. By organizing all these parallel sessions, we want to bring across that complexity. Luckily, the sessions will be available to watch after the event, and we will return to them as the conversation continues. Before I go into the program for this session, I just want to recognize Khalid Yanai, who has been instrumental in shaping the Marian Forum and making this event happen. At every point, he has reminded us of the banner for the initiative from rulership to leadership and how this must run through everything we do and how we do it. And he's emphasized the engagement of our students, both undergraduates and graduate students, and that they should be part of shaping every aspect of the forum. I also want to thank, in particular, Carolina Stern, who has stepped up as a project leader for today's ambitious event. She has made this event happen together with her collaborators, Gary Mirich and Nina Longtart, and support from uh, Jake Morris and Jasmine Paul at Type Insights. And our Mariam students leaders have been contributing to every aspect of the program. So thank you very much. Let me come to the topic of today's first session. It's defeating the virus everywhere. What needs to be done now? In this session, we will examine how the two aspects of the COVID-19, the medical emergency and the economic crisis are interconnected. We will not be able to fully recover from the current economic crisis until we have defeated the virus everywhere. Until we have defeated the virus in an individual country, the economy cannot fully return to normal. Until we have extinguished the virus from the planet, we run the risk of new outbreaks anywhere. We need investments in helping countries fight the virus, and we need to support countries in, in weathering the economic and political impact of the virus. We need to do so on a global scale. Many of us on this panel have been involved in trying to mobilize such a global response. We have seen the G20 finance ministers respond by adopting a global action plan with many praiseworthy commitments, but we've not seen much concrete action beyond the responses of individual institutions like the WHO, the IMF, and the World Bank. What needs to be done now from a medical point of view and from an economic political point of view? That is the question for the opening panel. We have an amazing panel and a global audience to help us answer this question. The panel brings together medical expertise, leaders from previous global crisis, and policymakers working in the current crisis in different parts of the world. I'm going to introduce the speakers as uh, they speak, but I'm going to start with um, former Prime Minister Gordon Brown, who has been very much at the helm of trying to push the global response in this crisis as he was part of the uh, response to the global financial crisis. It's a great honor for us to have you here, uh, Prime Minister Brown. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm uh, delighted to be part of this new venture by the London School of Economics and I congratulate you Eric and your team on organizing this and it's a real pleasure to speak alongside uh, Maria and Manoush and uh, uh, Zoo and Andres uh, and of course Jeremy who will follow me. Uh, I was once a university lecturer and I used to say that universities stand for objectivity, rationality, uh, the pursuit of truth, the search for knowledge. Uh, and these were all the qualities you had to leave behind when you went into politics. 
And I suspect that the contrast is nowhere more obvious than now between the brilliance of the scientific and medical and research uh, endeavor built around universities, of course, and the willingness of uh, academics across the world to cooperate and the failure uh, of political leaders across the world uh, to cooperate, uh, even facing uh, this crisis. What we've got is a global uh, medical uh, crisis that has caused a global economic crisis. And we know that the economic crisis cannot be fully resolved unless we can address the medical crisis. And we know that the medical crisis cannot be fully resolved in one country or one continent alone. It can only be finally addressed uh, by finding a way to eradicate the disease uh, from every continent. Some of you may remember that uh, Ronald Reagan uh, met uh, Michel Gorbachev to decide on peace plans in the 1980s and reduce nuclear weapons. And Reagan, of course, was obsessed by Star Wars and he asked uh, Gorbachev a question at the Geneva meeting. He said, if an asteroid hit the Earth, uh, would you work with us to deal with the problem? And Gorbachev said, of course we would cooperate. And Reagan said, we too. Now, there is nowhere where a Me Too, We Too movement is needed more than in the control of infectious diseases. If a World Health Organization did not exist, it would have to be created to deal with problems like this. And Jeremy, I believe, will follow me by suggesting, as I'm uh, implying, three areas where cooperation at an international level is absolutely essential it is happening, but has not yet been fully supported uh, by political leadership. The first is the global search for a vaccine and cure. Uh, and it's not just the search for that, it's to manufacture in a mass basis. And of course, it is to equitably distribute that. The second, of course, is when you have at the moment a dog eats dog fight to get hold of medical supplies. And we saw this yesterday with America buying up the supply of a particular drug. Uh, we need coordination so that we can build the capacity uh, to provide medical equipment, not just to the richest countries, uh, but all around the world. And that's from ventilators right through to basic uh, medical uh, protection uh, equipment. And thirdly, and perhaps uh, more important in the next stage is this, that the poorest countries with inadequate health systems, inadequate safety nets, inadequate means of protecting people and therefore social distancing will not work as well in overcrowded circumstances, nor will the desire to call for hand washing work where you don't have a regular supply of running water. Uh, we needed to do more and still need to do more to support those countries uh, that are facing the disease uh, without the resources to enable them to do so. So global health cooperation is essential. I see it on the part of scientists and medics, but I don't yet see the resources being provided. And that then leads to economic cooperation. And I think everybody will be struck by this contrast between the national actions that people have been prepared to take. 11 trillion has been uh, injected into national economies as a rescue operation to stop the effects of the virus, as against the limited international cooperation that is consisted of communiques, uh, but not yet uh, forceful action on the ground with the resources that are necessary. At the beginning of the crisis, Kristalina Georgieva said that two and a half trillion was needed by the middle and lower income countries to deal with this crisis. 
but only a fraction of that has been provided. And I single out three areas where something could be done immediately, but yet we have failed uh, to be comprehensive in our approach. The first is, if you want to get money to the poorest countries, the quickest way is allowing them to suspend their debt servicing payments. Uh, 76 countries, or about 86 mil billion between now and the end of uh, 2021, uh, 20 billion is owed to the commercial sector, more is owed to the bilateral uh, agreements, some to the multilaterals. But as yet, we have seen limited progress. Yes, some bilateral uh, debt relief, uh, not yet uh, a large amount of commercial uh, debt relief. Uh, the multilaterals uh, have to be supported by, by their shareholders to do it. And some of that has happened, but not all. So debt relief, the quickest way, the route is not yet uh, been exhausted. Secondly, the resources of the International Monetary Fund, inadequate to deal with the scale of the problems that Kristalina herself identified at two and a half trillion. Perhaps the IMF could provide about 600 billion over a period of time. Uh, the best way would be to create the new international currency, the SDRs, a new round of that, uh, 600 billion in the next few months, another 600 billion by 2022. That would allow, if the countries who received this currency were prepared to pass it over to those who needed it, uh, an injection of resources of a scale that is essential uh, for countries to deal with the problem. And the third area is the World Bank and the regional development banks, because they have to provide help for infrastructure, for education, for health, for safety nets. And of course, what is happening now is that uh, education, infrastructure, and to some extent safety nets are being crowded out because we need to spend urgently on health. The only answer is to increase your resources. During the last uh, uh, global financial crisis, the World Bank trebled the amount of money available from one of its uh, funds. I think the World Bank has got to be able to borrow through its IDA, and we've got to use new facilities like the International Finance Facility for Education to create more resources. Imaginative thinking, new thinking, but thinking that's got to be done. But there are longer term issues as well, and I want to dwell on them very briefly uh, before others uh, come in. This crisis is accelerating trends that are already underway. I, I, I talk about the center of gravity of the world economy moving from west to east. I talk about manufacturing employment and now more service employment in place of it. I'm talking about the physical economy and the growth of the online economy. Other trends that have been underway before this crisis, uh, movement of resources and, and uh, rewards uh, from labor to capital, uh, from the education poor to the education rich, and we still, it is an open question, what is gonna happen? And of course, from a sustainable economy to an unsustainable environment uh, where we've gotta take action as well. Now, when it comes to the pandemics, we can identify things that have gotta be done, but we have pollution, we have nuclear proliferation, we have global inequality, we have the sustainable development goals, we have 80 million people caught in a humanitarian uh, crisis, the biggest figure since the Second World War. Uh, we have issues about the future of the internet. And these are all global problems, nuclear proliferation and other, that need global solutions. And you need to have cooperation. Now, what has actually happened in the last 10 years since the global financial crisis is what was started off as a defensive nationalism, that you close your borders, you put on tariffs, you cut immigration, uh, you build walls, has now become an aggressive nationalism. America first, India first, China first, 
Japan first, Russia first, Turkey first. These uh, defensive nationalisms of the last few years have turned into an us versus them nationalist. And as you see in this crisis, the tendency is to make uh, relations between countries a blame game. Someone else is to blame for the problem to whip up national sentiment in our favor. And what we are finding is neither could the Washington consensus, which is not even supported, of course, in Washington, which is probably the neoliberal approach to running the world, nor nationalism, uh, you, if you like, American first going global, or at the same, or at the same time, an international coalition of anti-internationalists, uh, that is not going to solve all these seven problems I've identified, including pandemics, uh, nor will what is likely to be the future if we do nothing about it, a one world of two systems, uh, China and America with their own spheres of influence competing with each other akin to but not the same as the Cold War. The only way forward is by some form of responsible cooperation. And my view is it's got to be built up issue by issue. For those who are despondent about what could be done, look at what happened when we decided to eliminate smallpox. It happened. Look at what happened when we decided to deal with the ozone layer. Look what happened when we said apartheid had to end. Even in the global financial crisis, we won the battle to get back to growth, even if we didn't win the war to reform the international financial system. And that is the spirit in which we've got to address uh, the next stage. You know, in the 1990s, we had had 40 years of a space race, America fighting Russia. And then by agreement, America and Russia and other countries agreed to work together in outer space with the International Space Station. And I believe if we can achieve that form of cooperation in outer space in one of the most sensitive areas that was causing some of the greatest tension in the world, and that could be pulled off for 30 years, uh, then we can, if we put our mind to it, achieve the responsible cooperation that is necessary to solve not just the problem of pandemics, but proliferation, pollution, inequality, the sustainable development goals, uh, and of course, the humanitarian needs I've identified. It's a challenge that I believe the intellectual community is wishing to meet. It is a challenge we've got to force on the political leaderships of our time. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mr. Brown. That was, I think, a, a very powerful uh, sense of direction and many of the issues that you brought up, the intersection between different uh, global, emerging global challenges, the need to coordinate and to try to work maybe on specific issues to build uh, the global cooperation. We'll come back during the day in the other seven, uh, webinars that we are holding this afternoon. So thank you very much for that uh, beautiful start uh, to this conference. So the next speaker is Jeremy Farrar. Jeremy is the director of the Wellcome Trust, the, the second largest funder of research in the world. Uh, he has worked both globally and actually spent a lot of time trying to understand and work at the origin of, of many of these uh, epidemics in, in, in working in Vietnam and then has been part of previous attempts to fight epidemics and pandemics and he was involved in the Ebola crisis uh, very much uh, in producing vaccine at the time. Now you have been active both at the global level and in the national debates in the UK. Jeremy, what is your perspective on this? 
Thanks very much. I hope you can hear. Um, and uh, Eric and Vinoosh, um, great pleasure to uh, join the LSE in this and uh, a real honour to uh, follow Gordon Brown. Um, we've actually never met, but over the last few months, Gordon, your, your leadership on so many of these areas, G20 and others, has been enormously appreciated uh, by those of us in the public health community. And uh, all I can ask is that you continue to keep pushing. Um, your job's not done yet. Um, where to start? Um, I think the last six months has really um, been a remarkable period to live through. Um, when we look back in history, these periods are often romanticized. We look back at events in history. Uh, the truth is when you're living through these events, they're deeply uncomfortable, very painful, uh, and uh, very difficult to get out of. But when you're in the midst of them, it is critical to ask yourself and lift your eyes and say, what does this mean for us as we go forward? Uh, because the future gets defined very quickly. And if you wait, frankly, until it's over, that opportunity to bring, yes, a deep intellectual uh, understanding of the reasons for it and the responses to it is lost. Or even worse, uh, that vacuum gets filled uh, by others with other agendas, uh, as Gordon just outlined so articulately. Um, and my belief is actually this pandemic is still being underappreciated. Underappreciated in what the long-term consequences of this will mean for, yes, public health, but far more for economics, for society, for trust, uh, and for the uh, inequalities uh, that this pandemic has exposed. Uh, in the way I frame it, I frame it in four concentric circles. Um, and they are concentric because each one actually is bigger than the last one. And uh, I'll just go very quickly through what I mean by these. In the smallest, actually, at the heart of it, and it's difficult to say the smallest when we're living through it and the public health and uh, impact on all of our lives is so profound. But the one at the heart of this is, of course, the direct consequence of the infection itself, COVID-19 the impact on making people uh, sick, going to hospitals, the, uh, the tragedy of um, 500,000 deaths uh, already due to COVID-19. So the direct consequence of the infection. The second circle is the broader impact on the whole of health. Uh, when you disrupt health systems like this, it isn't just COVID that suffers and people with COVID, it's people with cancer, with diabetes, who, who require safe childbirth, uh, who demand vaccinations quite rightly so. Vaccination uh, around the world has dropped off a cliff over the last six months and the ramifications years from now will be felt as measles epidemics spread through Africa and other parts of the world. So there is the indirect health consequences of that. The third concentric ring is the impact on the broader society. Uh, health is paramount to all of us and if health is not there for us and particularly if public health systems and clinical facilities are not there when we need it, there is a question of trust between the governed and the governing. Uh, uh, economics is disrupted, trade is disrupted, the loss to the global economy, but critically national economies is profound. Uh, there is fear in every pandemic in history, going back to the Black Death in Europe in the Middle Ages, uh, these pandemics generate fear, particularly fear of outsiders, people who don't look like us, people who come from somewhere else, there is the blame game uh, that goes back again to the Middle Ages, and we're seeing it today. Um, when you put pressure on societies, as we have done through this pandemic, 
uh, it raises, uh, it, uh, it opens up fractures which were there and we all knew they were there, uh, but it raises those fractures even more and it shows in truth what a fragmented society we have driven essentially by inequalities. And whether that expresses itself, frankly, in the Black Lives Matter movement or inequalities in other parts of the world, uh, uh, it expresses itself and fractures are exposed. There's a whole generation of, of children that have not been at school for at least six months and, and that will devastate those children for many years to come and it will particularly devastate those children who are living in countries where the language of the country is not their home language. It'll particularly devastate children from uh, vulnerable and other populations and, and it will take years, if ever, they recover. Uh, it, will it will expose further inequalities. So the fracture lines in society, economics, trade, trust in government will be exposed and there will be uh, populist movements that uh, build on that fear. The fourth concentric ring is something Gordon also referred to and that is geopolitics in a, in a single word. It is whether we believe in multilateralism. It is whether we seek to blame America calling this the Wuhan or China virus or other people saying this has come from somewhere else or whatever. It will call into question the very international frameworks that were established after the Second World War, whether the United Nations, the WHO, IMF, World Bank and others. It will lead to a rise in nationalism, a blame game that populists may be able to choose on. Um, and it will question those international relations in ways that uh, are unpredictable and very volatile and very frightening. And uh, without wishing to um, stretch the analogy too far, I think in the last hundred years, there have been two other occasions uh, where the world has been changed.